Turn, please, in your Bibles again to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Turn to verse 13. We're going to start there this morning, verse 13. Genesis 22, verse 13. This is the Word of God. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad that this is your word and that it does stand. So, Father, give us understanding now as we come to it uh, of what you're teaching us here and how to apply it to the way we live. So help us, we pray, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a question that sometimes gnaws at me from deep uh, within that I, that I want us to wrestle with this morning. And it comes from something Jesus said. Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it makes me go to other verses like Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What I wonder about is my believing, my faith. Uh, is my faith real? Uh, is what I believe about Jesus and about heaven and eternal life uh, really true? And if I believe it's true, do I really believe it? Is my faith the kind of saving faith that God is looking for? I don't think I'm alone to ask that question. I suspect if you're a teenager, you might ask that question. I know I did when I was. Um, I remember I, I was privileged to be raised by, by believing covenantal parents, but sometimes the question went like this, do I believe or do I believe just because my parents believe and I don't know anything different? Do I really have faith or am I just kidding myself? Well, look off and I blow it. Look how much I'm just like everyone else. It's also a question that people are new believers ask. Seeds of doubt present in our minds. Is this stuff really true? Is it something that I'm really committed to, or is it just some sort of a passing fancy in my life? Even people who've been believers for a long time occasionally ask this question. Perhaps we go to the point where we feel like we're believers more out of habit than out of conviction. Uh, and uh, we, we come to some great difficulty in life, some enormous pain, Something that just does not make any sense, and we wonder, is our faith real, or is it something we had and perhaps we've lost? Have I just been fooling myself all these years? So if you've ever asked the question, and I suspect you have, you're not alone. It's a legitimate one to ask. I think we can find it addressed in these verses this morning. They bring up issues about our faith so that we can evaluate, is my faith real? 
is my faith in Jesus Christ that saves me from my sins and gives me eternal life with God, is it real? Let's go to the text and see. First, what's the object of my faith? What's my faith really in? I mean, consider Abraham for a moment. The easiest thing in the world for him to do would be able to say, look to God and, and say this and say to us, look at me. You know, I left everything in Ur of the Chaldees behind that I knew, everything familiar, and I went to a land you were going to show me. Well, I look at me, I, I had the promise of a child for years and years and years, and finally it came to pass. In fact, I trusted God so much I was willing to sacrifice my son for him. You see, because Abraham had been so obedient to God, so good, if you will, yeah, there have been a few bumps in the road, but God's obviously blessed him. It would be easy for Abraham to begin to, to trust his own obedience to commend himself to God. Uh, and I think it can happen to us. Maybe it doesn't seem obvious. Maybe it's sort of subtle. We walk with God a long time in our lives, begin to think, well, we're not really bad people. We're not criminals. We're not in jail. Um, you know, we, we treat people pretty good. We're nice to people. We tithe to the church. We serve in church. When they have a blood drive, we sign up. You know, when they need help in the nursery, we serve. Need help in the audio section, we serve. Um, you know, I sort of, I treat my family well. I've got this Christian thing down. Doing okay. You know, God must really be satisfied with me. Um, and we begin to subtly trust our own obedience to make us acceptable to God. What did Abraham learn here? Verse 13 and 14 again. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So to be sure, Abraham is obedient, but it was God who provided the substitute for Isaac. And it was the substitute that is sacrificed. And to mark the spot, Abraham called it what? The place where I obeyed God? No. He called it the Lord will provide. Abraham's most prominent memory of this place is not his own obedience. Rather, it is the provision of the Lord's substitute. Besides, while his obedience is proven, he's still required to offer a sacrifice here for his sin. And the sacrifice is provided by God. The object of his faith was not his obedience, but God himself. His faith's in God. Think of it this way. You're in a burning building. You're on the 10th floor, and the fire is behind you. You're standing in the window. Underneath you are the firemen, and they're, they're, uh, they're urging you to jump to escape the flames. And there's no other way out. Now, in order to be saved, you've got to be obedient. You have to jump. Now, so what's the object of your faith in that situation? Is it your jumping ability, you know, uh, or is it? that the fireman down below will catch you. See, if you're on the 10th floor, I don't care how great your jumping ability is, uh, you'll not be saved from death unless the fireman catch you below. Our faith would have to be in the fireman. 
And in the same way, our, our faith must not be in our ability to be obedient, our ability to jump, but in God. The God who makes provision for us in Jesus Christ. The God who provides the net to jump into. So when we ask the question, is my faith real? Then if it's the object is God, the answer is yes. In fact, Jesus refers to Abraham's fear of God here. What's that mean? It means a holy respect of God tied to his faith. Acknowledgement that God is God and we're not. God affirms this holy fear. And recognizing that God holds our today and our tomorrow in his hand. Remember, God's the God who loves us. Our faith's not in our faith. Faith's, in faith is not real faith. That's wishful thinking. Our faith must have an object, and it's God. Second question comes with the second word of the Lord that Abraham receives here. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven uh, and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. The second question is, do I demonstrate that I have real faith by what I do? What Abraham did was demonstrate that his faith in God was real. Now, friends, it shows what we call works, the things we do in our lives to obey and please God, how they fit in with our faith. Our works, our obedience to God are not what we trust in. Rather, our obedience, our works demonstrate that we have faith. Simply put, if we have real faith, our lives will show it. It'll be obvious. Abraham demonstrates his belief in God in a real-life situation where he's required to place all of his trust in God. If you turn over to James 2, there's divine commentary on, this, uh, on, this, this, uh, on these verses. James 2. James is addressing how Faith and works go together. And he raises a great question in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Well, friends, can it? Well, watch James' answer and the conclusion that he draws. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. What he's saying is if there's no demonstration of faith in a person's life by how we live, there's a possibility, indeed a probability, perhaps, that, that that faith is not real. So James lays out the challenge in verses 18 and 19, that real faith is always demonstrated. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God's one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe there's a God. But, of course, they don't have any works. There's no faith there. And this is when James appeals to Genesis 22. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, make sure we understand what James is saying there. Uh, he, he, is he saying that, that you've got to be saved by your works? Not at all. His verse he's quoting is, is, is from Genesis 15.6. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. Period. End of the sentence. End of story. Uh, that's the proof that faith alone saves us. And it's based on, a, on the word of God. But here's what James is saying. He's telling us that what Abraham did on Mount Moriah proves that Genesis 15.6 is true. Abraham illustrates the statement, show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. If our faith is real, there will be evidence. People will see it. It will be obvious to the world around us. There will be works. There will be good things to come from our lives. You see, the, our, our faith alone justifies us before God. But our works... The things we do, in a sense, justify us before the world. They show the world our faith is real. And they might say, well, I don't care what the world thinks. Well, you know what? God cares what the world thinks about you. God cares that we demonstrate our faith in front of the, of the people. That's what Abraham did. Abraham demonstrated that God has first place in his life, even ahead of of Isaac. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, why is obedience such a big deal? Why dwell on this so much? I mean, after all, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved. Well, consider disobedience for a moment. Quite frankly, disobedience is sin. It's not just a lapse of judgment or that I may have offended you. It's sin. And the consequences that come with disobedience can be very destructive. Yes, we will be forgiven. But what's the impact we have on other people, on believers? On the other hand, listen to Dr. Barnhouse. The importance of obedience cannot be overestimated. When we obey God without question, we confess that we are finite and He is infinite. We acknowledge that He has all knowledge and that we have no wisdom. We show that by our obedience, we believe he's good, that his plans are best for us, that he's full of grace and loving kindness, that in every way he's wonderful, good, wise, and loving. May we just add to that that obedience, it's about love. It's about delight. It's not about obligation. It does matter what we do. If our faith is real, our love for Jesus is real. We will demonstrate that faith in front of the watching world. Uh, our obedience will show our faith in the way we live, the way we treat people, the way we serve God in the church, outside the church, the way we use our resources, the way we love a dying world around us. Our faith is real. We'll keep the great commandment. We'll love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll seek to carry out the great commission to go make disciples of all nations. People will literally see the impact of our faith in the way we live. Even 
as God forgives us when we fall. Then finally, one more thing. Uh, does my faith produce hope in my life? Does my faith produce hope? And I'm convinced over and over again that this element of hope is really the, 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 the place to reach out uh, to the culture today. Um, uh, the greatest need people have is hope. And when we talk about the hope of real faith, what are we talking about? We'll look at verse 17 and 18. God says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So that sums it up. God is going to bless Abraham. The hope we have, friends, is the hope of future blessing in our lives. Over in John 8, 56, Jesus says something interesting. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. He saw it and was glad. So the question is, what did he see? Tell us that thing. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 3, 8. He quote, that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now the question is, how did he do that? Well, friends, Genesis 22 is the answer. Abraham saw that a substitute, a substitute who would be a son, would be sacrificed for our sins. What he also saw, as we looked at Hebrews 11 a few weeks ago, is that God would raise the dead. Remember the Hebrew writer of Hebrews says, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what Abraham saw was, the hope of eternal life, uh, and it was based on a substitute that was going to be made for him. He saw the day of Jesus coming. He was hopeful. He was resting on the promise of what God would do. Hearing God's word as to what he would do for Abraham's descendants and also the effect that his offspring would have on the world brought great hope. By the way, offspring here is singular, meaning it points to Jesus himself, the blessing to the nations. So the basis of hope for Abraham's faith, it's the word of God that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Abraham's hope's not some wishy-washy, pie-in-the-sky concept. It's hope produced by real faith in God. Abraham had genuine confidence in the future because everything God had said about the past, God had carried through his commitment on. It's all happened. So do we have that hope? Do we have the confidence about the future? What's going to happen tomorrow? Proverbs 23, 18. God says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Abraham's hope is in the future coming of Jesus. Ours is in the hope that Jesus will in fact come again. Uh, One of our favorite passages in the Bible comes from Zechariah's sermon there back in chapter 9, where under God's inspiration, and he's speaking about the coming of Jesus, he refers in verse 12 to those who wait as prisoners of hope. And that's what we're to be. You know, it's easy to get discouraged about the future of the world. We see unrest everywhere. We see moral bankruptcy. They tell us COVID's rising again. We can get discouraged. We can become prisoners of discouragement. 
Or we can realize the hope that we have, the hope of Jesus coming back, what we read in Titus 2.18, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The hope of eternal life is based on the Word of God Himself. And we can become prisoners of that hope. We can take hold of it. That, friends, is, is, is what carries us through the difficult times in our lives. What Paul refers to in 1 Thessalonians 1 as the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. When our faith is real, we have hope for the future. The great missionary Adam Judson said, My future is as bright as the promises of God. Indeed, what Jesus says in John 14 is about the future. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, that's what Jesus says himself. When our faith is in him, it produces hope. His word about the future guarantees what will happen. We don't have time to comment. Let me, let me tell you what the writer of Hebrews says about this passage in Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater, one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater themselves. And, it's all their, and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope. Friends, does the future make us despair? Does it scare us sometimes? What shouldn't? Have hope. Hope comes free with faith. God's word's certain. God takes an oath to emphasize the certainty of hope. Go back to the analogy of the, the burning building. There we are, the fire's burning behind us. We're beating jump because we have faith in the firemen below that they'll catch us. That's the object. And we jump to demonstrate that faith. The result of that trusting and of that jumping, now we have hope for tomorrow. A hope we would not have had had we remained in the burning building. Hope follows a demonstration of our faith, which follows our place in our faith in the correct object. Again, hope's the critical need for the world today. People are searching for hope. They're looking at things like critical race theory for hope. They're looking to Marxism for hope. They're looking for sexual freedom or rebellion for hope. All sorts of places. But hope is only found in Jesus Christ. So what about us? Let's go back to the original question that each of us must ask. Is my faith real? First, is it in God alone? In God's provision for us through Jesus Christ? Where's in what I do? Second, if people look at my life, do they see a demonstration of my faith? Is it obvious to the people around me? Finally, am I a prisoner of hope? Do I have hope? And if our answer to any of those is no, then go back, look again at Jesus. 
the one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, as we sang earlier. Look at his love. Look to God. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He died in your place, and he gives you eternal life. If you believe he did it all for you, friends, you will be saved. Then with our faith, we our life will begin to, to demonstrate by the way we live, by our hope. And maybe you, you know you're a believer, that your faith is in God, but, but you realize your life hasn't shown it much. Or maybe you don't have hope. And for instance, that's the case. If you're sure your faith is in God, then, then one, repent of any disobedience. Uh, repent of your sin, of what you've not done for him. And I promise you, his grace, he will forgive. His word promises that. Depending on the Holy Spirit, you can begin to demonstrate faith in your life. And go back and read this. Ask God to restore your hope. He'll do it. So let's go back to where we started. I'm going to finish this statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. May we be encouraged with blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we have your word. Father, we confess all of us at times have doubts. Uh, And that, Father, we, we wonder, is my faith real? So, Father, this morning, encourage us that with you as the object, Father, with evidence... And with hope, we can know our faith is real. And Father, is anybody struggling with that assurance? Or one, if they, if they don't know you, Father, today show them who you are through Jesus Christ. Show them your great love. Show them his death on the cross for their sins. And draw them to yourself, we pray. And Father, for those who are believers who are struggling, Father, Lord, forgive us where our, our, our works don't glorify you. Uh, Father, and then fill us with great hope, Father, to know that we are yours. We belong to Jesus forever and ever and ever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.